I think what's what's bad that's what everyone highlights is that it's a new tag. People don't really know how to use it. They can yeah. start sharing wrong data with it. They can over over rely on it. Mm-hmm. But it happens all the time. I mean, when machine translation was just introduced, I think one big oil company at some point found all their proprietary data on Google in Google search, just because they didn't know that they they cannot really paste their confidential information in this free online translator. Much like here, it will take some time. Lexigo presents the native experience with your host Brian. Oh yeah! Hello, world. This is Brian from Lexigo.com, and you're listening to the Native Experience Podcast, the show that hopefully will not be taken over by ChatGPT or any other AI, because I kind of like doing this. Of course, our goal on this podcast is to go beyond translation and localization and discuss creating a truly native experience for diverse audiences. Today, we are talking with Konstantin Savinkov, CEO and co-founder of Intento. Excited for this episode today. Let me tell you about Constantine. After receiving a PhD in 2008, he led research and development efforts for online content services and then worked as a chief operating officer at Bookmate, Spotify for Books, by the way. And in 2016, he contributed his experience as an artificial intelligence AI, by the way, just in case, you know, you're not entirely sure what artificial intelligence is. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. Technology and operations to found Intento, where they develop enterprise machine translation hub helping large companies translate 20 times more on the same budget and make their customer and employee experiences instantly multilingual in 450 plus languages i love it that's incredible so we're going to be talking to constantine learning about what he has done hearing some of his experiences and also he's got some great perspectives so let's rock it constantine welcome to the native experience thank you so much for joining us today appreciate it hi brian thank you for having me well, we got to know a little bit about yourself. I'm, I'm excited about our conversation, but tell us about yourself, what you do, and also what you do for fun. So I'm, um, by training, I'm an uh, AI person, got a PhD, it's been a while, and now I run a company called Intanto, where uh, we basically help large companies use AI. That was one of the, I think, important insights for me is that although making core AI stuff is fun. It's not something which pushes the needle for large business. So that's why I tend to focus on this more boring, but more important part. Well, that's good. Tell us a little bit about where you're at in the world right now and any kind of fun things you're doing. I'm in Berkeley, California, across the bay from the Silicon Valley. The summer is about to start. We still have rains. Fun stuff. uh, Yeah, it's a hard time of the year for fun stuff. It's mostly business and work. Okay. But uh, where I can, I do some of um, some adventure trips. We have a very you know diverse uh, nature in California. You can find almost everything you want: mountains, rivers, ocean. So I, I'm enjoying this nature mostly with my kids, my family. Oh, that's great! I love California. I got to tell you, I uh, my grandparents used to live in the Bay Area. You know, San Francisco and. East Bay and all that used to be just some of my favorite areas to come visit and stuff. And there's so much to see out there. But it's been years since I've been over there, but I I always loved it. So you're in a nice area. Thank you. Yeah, that's great. All right. So we've got our icebreaker questions here. And these are, you know, for fun. They're quick answers, quick questions. So whatever comes to the top of your mind, 
Here's question one, all right? If you could speak only one language for the rest of your life, which language would that be? I, I would fail. Uh, <laughs> I find such a, such a big joy of learning new languages and then finding their differences. And then you get those phrases which stick to you from one language to another and you it's not really easy to go without them once you know them. I mean, probably if I have to, it likely be English just for the mm. sake of usefulness. I get a lot from other languages which I learned in the past, so I wouldn't give them up. <laughs> no, I, I love that answer because, you know, it, it is kind of fun to, to try to get people to think of, okay, which language, if I had to pick one, but I'm also that type of person that would say, there is no one answer. There's too, there's too many wonderful languages out there, too many wonderful options. And to me, that is a great answer. I appreciate that. All right. If you could live in any country in the world, where would you go? Like another complex question. It feels like about, you know, maybe 10 years ago where the world was on a peak of being united. It, it was impossible to imagine. And now, sadly, with that, things going through the world, you, you can now start start imagining, oh, what if I had to live in one country, right? What yeah. if I had to speak one language? I know I, I visited many countries. I liked, I think I liked to the most as um, at least for short visits. I love Chile and mm. Greenland for the unique combination of people and nature. But I wouldn't be able to live there, I guess. I moved to United States about six years ago. And for me, I realized at some point the country need to be aware enough to live in. It, it cannot be too boring. It cannot be too calm. So that's where I think U.S. is. It's perfect for me for the time being. That's a really good perspective. I like that. This next question, you know, what is your favorite foreign language film or book? Uh, it's interesting because I was thinking about this and I, and I thought, okay, so... You know, I'm from the United States. And so for me, you know, a foreign language film or book would not be from the United States. But if you're not from the United yeah. States, then technically a U.S. foreign language film or book would count. So I'm going to throw that out to you. What What's yours or do you have one or do you even have just something off the top of your mind that you absolutely love? Yeah, I probably have one just by coincidence. It's so the book is called Ram Doodle. Okay. And it's an English book. It's like many people know Three Men in a Boat, right, from Jerome. Mm -hmm. And that's about the same, but it's about mountaineering. And uh, since I spent uh, probably a good uh, 20 years of my life in high-attitude mountaineering, I just love this book for the humor and the language and jokes and stuff like that. Interesting. So mountaineering. Cool. Tell me a little bit about your mountaineering experience. Um, nothing like Mount Everest, but we used to travel with friends in different mountain regions of the world, typically on relatively high altitude, around, you know, six, seven thousand meters. We climbed some peaks, uh, made some nice trips. That's cool. That's great. All right. So I know you're, you're in the business side of, of, you know, this time of year, you're working hard right now. So I always ask the question, what are you currently nerding out on? And, you know, this can be a professional thing that you're really excited about and passionate about right now. So go ahead and talk about if there's something in, in the business side that you're just really focused on and excited about. Yeah, I think I want to be too original here because everyone nerds out about GPT. 
Yeah. And since we're a directly work in uh, translation industry, that's totally uh, what we do at the moment. Because it's quite ubiquitous technology. Our company, we help large companies to configure their automatic translation solutions using machine translation, things like that. Mm-hmm. But internally, we operate like any other software business, meaning that we, we develop software, we we do marketing, we do sales, we support our customers. And that's why sort of for us, this GPT stuff is sort of twofold. Because on one hand, we're looking how to improve the solutions we're building with these uh, new capabilities. But on another hand, we're looking uh, how much more productive we can be as a business if we use it internally for all sorts of internal things, you know, from writing emails to developing software code. Mm-hmm. And we see that it's totally game-changing everywhere. So that's why it's totally my favorite topic at the moment. That's where I spend my weekends. During business days, I have to run the company. I cannot really, yeah. you know, play too much with fun technologies. But yeah. when I'm off, I can do it. That's what I do. Interesting. Okay, so yeah, let's let's get into ChatGPT a little bit because I know it's it's huge. It feels like it's taking over. What do you think about ChatGPT, positive and negative? The technology has been around a couple of years and we got access mm-hmm. to the first GPT-3 version. I think it was January 2021, which is uh, more oh, than nice. two years ago. Until the update in late November last year, it was uh, very subpar, especially in non-English languages. It was good, but you know, for us humans, we, we may consider something good, but if we need to change the way we work it should be much better. And GPT for, for two years, it was good, but not good enough for mm-hmm. people to change the way they work. And now what happened in um, end of last year, they uh, developed this new model, which was updated GPT, GPT-3, but like the latest version, DaVinci 3. And then they almost simultaneously released 3.5, which is ChatGPT, it was in January as this free web service. And then suddenly it was better. It was good enough for people to to go to a new web page to copy and paste and copy and paste back (laughs) their their daily stuff. From a perspective, it's quite important that all things in the past, uh, they were like machine translation. It's trained on a very specific narrow task, which some people do, translators, but it's it's a very specific thing. But uh, GPT is trained just to produce output based on input. And if you think that's what we humans do, probably 95% of our life <laughs> when we're not sleeping, yeah. we're getting something in the input, we're producing something on the output, just like two of us on this podcast, right? So that's, that's, I think, what's unique about this thing is that it can be repurposed to do yeah. almost everything. I think what's, what's bad, that's what everyone highlights is that it's a new tag. People don't really know how to use it. They can yeah. start sharing wrong data with it. They can over, over rely on it. Mm-hmm. But it happens all the time. I mean, when machine translation was just introduced, I think one big oil company at some point found all their proprietary data on Google in Google search. 
just because they didn't know that they they cannot really paste their confidential information in this free online translator. Much like here, it will take some time. Yeah, it's true. I mean, just noticing that sometimes GPT or even some of the other AIs will they'll produce some really accurate kind of almost wow that was scary level of accuracy kind of you know results and then at the other times you're going yeah not even close so <laughs> it is good to be able to learn how to use it and then be able to go through and i mean essentially kind of proof it just to make sure that it is it's been done correctly it's it's what you're looking for but you know i see it as a nice tool to really assist us and take some of the load off to allow us to be able to focus on other things too ideally anyway what do you think it needs to improve first, you know, before it really becomes more widely used or more effective? In terms of the model power or capabilities, I think it's sort of enough, meaning that definitely if it becomes better or more accurate or anything like that, then it will be some next level. We'll take our productivity to 11 uh, from mm. 10, but yeah. even at 10, it's all right. I think where it needs to improve, it's quite, again, it's quite boring stuff, which every new technology needs to master is that it needs to be cheaper, it needs to be faster. It's compared to more traditional tools like machine translation, it's super slow at the moment. It takes about three to 10 seconds to process one sentence. We used to have sub second speeds for AI, so everyone expects it to be faster. You know, any AI is partly about like hardcore technology, like neural networks. And then in part, it's about data and about having right data. Currently, it feels that their data is not very well balanced. So what it means, it means that, uh, for example, if you try to use it for translation, and if you're trying to translate something just outside of uh, general domain, outside of what people typically write in the internet and massa, then you see how quality drops. The same was with machine translation when it's just emerged. It was good for general stuff, but it was not good for some specific topics. So I think there uh, should be lots of effort put into data engineering to make GPT provide as much as you can, you know, you can get accurate answers for general topics in English and for some of the um, Domain specific things in English, but when it comes to other languages and when it comes to very special domains like specific yeah. fields of medicine or legal, then it starts to lose accuracy. And I think that's where lots of improvement is needed. How do you think GPT is going to influence machine translation in general? You know, when we say machine translation, I think there's a bit of uh, terminology conflict. Uh, on one hand, we typically mean automatic translation in general when we say machine translation, mm -hmm. just like translation made by machines. But then there's another meaning, which is machine translations, like specifically machine translation AI, which is this narrow type yeah. of neural model. Machine translation as a technology is actually pretty good already. But for automatic okay. translation, to have really good automatic translation, it lacks certain things. It lacks ability to do some, well, it lacks common sense. Put as inputs, it's not always really should be taken at face value. And then it lacks ability to work in context. For example, if you translate something from English to Spanish, then you have to take care about tone of voice, you have to care about gender. And that's context. 
and machine translation doesn't give you levers to add this context. That's where we see lots of use from GPT is basically to extend machine translation capabilities to achieve really good automatic translation. That's where we use it already in production at Intento for certain customers, for certain use cases. We just presented probably a month ago at XTM Live how we use it to achieve gender translations at scale. Yeah, That's a short-term impact. But I think big, bigger impact will be uh, probably in three to five years. I mean, it, it may sound very radical, but yeah. uh, if you will, in many cases, we translate just because we can't create in many languages. It's sort of tool to solve the problem because ideally, of course, we would have copywriter for every language who perfectly understands business context and idea and target audience, and they will just write it from scratch for every target audience. But practically that's impossible. It's too expensive. It's not scalable. So what we do, we write content, we write what we call original content. Like, mm -hmm. and by original, we often actually mean English American, yeah, <laughs> which yeah. is not totally not local enough for many, many other countries. And then sure. we take this content and we translate it. And then translators have to figure it out. They have, they transcreate, they, they have to change things. And I think the biggest impact from GPT will be that in many, many cases, now we'll have a way to move from this, let me call it pivotal content creation, where we pivot through American content to get to the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. And we'll be able to create content right, you know, right in the language, right for the audience which we mm -hmm. want to reach. Yeah, and that's I think will be their biggest impact. Interesting. Yeah, that's good to know. Now, are you seeing any other trends in neural machine translation? Just to specify that, and then also translation technology as well. Are you are you seeing anything else coming? I think there is one. It was actively discussed just before GPT was released. It was actively discussed in the autumn. Today, most of the um, machine translation models, they are built around language pairs, meaning that if you want to translate from English to Spanish, you have one model. If you want to translate from Spanish to French, you have another model. Mm -hmm. Even uh, if it's sort of all those lots of models hidden under the hood, it's still separate models. That's why when you want to build really custom machine translation for you, Typically, m most of the systems like Google and Microsoft, you, you have to train it with one of the languages being English because in the baseline, they have these bricks, you know, and those bricks are models to or from English in, in some way, even if it's sort of inside neural network. People were discussing a lot of multilingual models, like truly multilingual models. Now, for models, there is no difference what languages you're using is just for some languages it provides better quality for others less of quality but what's important is when you improve it for one language one language pair it improves the model for other languages as well that's i think for gpt this type of this sort of taken to extreme it's a single model working across all the languages but most of the machine translation models except very very few they still use this older approach. And I think very big trend will be merging these two technologies. It's not very easy. It's not only about AI. 
mm-hmm. and ability to build this big neural network. It's also about, you know, these boring things, which we put lots of attention to at Intento, for example, change management. Like on one hand, yes, if you translate your content to 20 languages, you want it so that every translation boosts this model for all other languages. That's sort of good side of things. But if you think, you know, humans make errors and mistakes. So not every translation is a good one. And then what happens if you... If you update your model with new data and it's not very good data, so you actually break something. And what if you break not only one language, but you break all of them because of this update? And that's something which enterprise solutions cannot have. That's why in the, you know, big solutions are built in a modular fashion so that you can change them gradually and you can always control how your errors and bugs propagate through the system. And that's, I believe, why it will not be immediate. All the technology, AI technologies out there, but probably it will take a few years to put it into real production so that you can do all this change management and all these boring things. I'm biased here, so I... <laughs> no, but I appreciate your perspective. And that's because it's, it's here whether we like it or not. And we're, you know, we're being faced with it. We're trying to figure out how to use it. And so, no, this is, this is really good information. Yeah, appreciate it. You know, speaking of translation, this is nuts. If you're tired of spending hours transcribing audio or video content, or maybe you want to create accessible content for a wider audience, but yeah, it's time consuming. That subtitling, that translation, it is time consuming. All right, listen up. I got an idea for you here, okay? Check out Scribe. It is an effortless solution for transcription, subtitling, and translation. With Scribe, you can translate speech to text in record time, create on-brand subtitles instantly, and translate and create subtitles across 171 languages in minutes. Wow, man. I'm just exhausted thinking about that. That's incredible. But you don't have to get exhausted. That's what's amazing. You can reach more audiences and create accessible content in any language for any platform, anywhere. Super simple. I love it. You can try Scribe out. So go do that. See how it can transform your media content creation process. Head on over to lexigo.com slash scribe and see what you think. All right, let's get back into it. Switching gears, I'd like to know a little bit about your cultural background. What is it? I grew up in Russia. I moved to U.S. about uh, six years ago. Okay. Berkeley Skydeck uh, invited us into their accelerator. It's uh, UC Berkeley's startup accelerator. It was very... um, radical move we moved about two weeks basically immediately oh wow <laughs> wow <laughs> oh wow yeah, yeah you're not kidding that's a big change too are you are you enjoying your your current location do you miss russia are you ready to go back or are you happy where you're at oh, I mean, of course it's of course not because it's a mess now in oh, russia yeah. with uh, invasion to ukraine i do enjoy berkeley i visited lots of countries and I also considered lots of countries for you know to move there I found the US or at least it's uh, California part to be as I mentioned it's uh, good enough and weird enough to live and feel mm. alive <laughs> nice. nice that's why for some other countries they just be too too calm and too boring if you will for me <laughs> um, that's good I really like a very unique climate, which we have here, which is yeah. um, not quite cool 
almost through all the year. At some point, it felt that this uniqueness of the Silicon Valley is fading out with the pandemic, where everything moved to online. Yeah. But interestingly, it actually comes back. Restrictions are lifting. There's more and more value in uh, offline activities in the Bay Area. And also it feels like with being harder to organize these live activities, they are more valuable. They became more valuable because there's less of them. Yeah. You know what I like? You, you, you've said this a couple of times now. You keep saying good enough. And I really like that perspective because nothing's perfect. It never will be. You know, ideally things are great, but a lot of times things are good enough. And I think that that's a really good way of looking at it because, I mean, that's that's the way things are going to be sometimes. They're good enough, which means then they're good and we got to go with it. So anyway, I just wanted to point that out that I appreciated you using those words because I think it's a really great perspective to keep in mind. And I like that you're happy where you're at and I'm glad you're in, yeah, California is definitely a place of, of interest. There's a lot to do there and a lot to see and a lot of variety there, which is really cool. Now, I know you speak a lot of languages. So which languages do you speak? I was learning lots of languages. That's a, that's a better way to put it. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's okay. I, I speak English, Russian, and Spanish a little bit. Okay. But I was also learning uh, languages like Dari. Uh, mm-hmm. When we were planning a mountaineering trip to uh, Afghanistan, I learned a little bit Inuit when we were oh, nice. traveling to Greenland because yeah. back then Inuit was one of the languages where you didn't have any machine translation at all. So mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah. had to learn some basic phrases Yeah, and a little bit of Chinese when uh, we just started to work with some of them. It's, it's always when you work with companies from China, you, you need to know a little bit of Chinese to, to understand mm-hmm. what's going on. Yeah. Definitely. So not, but I, I forgot almost all of them, except uh, Spanish, maybe. Well, and you mentioned earlier when I was asking, you know, if you could only speak one language, what would you choose? And you were saying, you know, that that's a tough question. You'd want to speak the ones you've learned and continue to learn them. What's been your experience and, and even how has that shaped your perspective in the world and on life by learning these different languages? Every language uh, brings a different perspective. Much like when you learn uh, other people, you you understand that there are maybe a different angle than yours, and your world becomes richer. The same with mm-hmm. other languages. For example, Dari, I think, was it's the only language I learned where it's like, you know, in the middle of the sentence, order of the words are not very important. It's important where, how you start, how you end the sentence. And that's also helps to understand importance because in other languages like English or Russian or Spanish, what you see are words in a certain order. Yeah. And that sort of makes it a default. And then you realize that actually the order may be different. I didn't learn Chinese enough to speak in it, but I understood how words and phrases are built in Chinese. Mm-hmm. And it helped me to understand people from this region speaking English because I started to understand how they construct sentences better, even in English. Yeah. Yeah. And things like that. Yeah, that's true. You know, when you're when you're learning languages and you're starting to interact with people too, you know, from different cultures and countries, you start to understand. I mean, if you're paying attention, of course you start to understand also how they see things 
what their perspective is. So it's not just spoken language, but it's also the overall communication in general. It's really interesting to understand how that works too. And yeah, it's, it's really fun. I, I love it. I think it's amazing. It really opens things up. If, if I'm being honest, learning languages and learning other cultures has helped me to become less selfish, <laughs> if that mm-hmm. makes sense. That's totally true. Because exactly because they, they sort of, they create, they create new angle. They enable this outside look yourself as well. Yeah, it's so fascinating. I, I always talk about Taiwan on the show and Chinese in general, because Taiwan was really the first country that I visited that was outside of like Canada, which yes, can- Canadians and, and, you know, Americans have obviously quite a few differences, but it's still similar compared to going to Asian country of some kind. It's very different. And so going to Taiwan, it was, it was my first real experience doing that. Obviously I have a lot of memories doing that. You know, in America, everybody's gotten so sensitive and so offended. And, you know, just recently, of course, there's obviously good reason for it. And then also we need to kind of take care on how sensitive we are. But it's amazing when you start listening to people from other countries, they're not as much, you know, for example, or they don't take themselves as seriously or they joke with each other. They laugh with each other. It's just interesting, you know, just again, going to some of the differences and you just start to see that and you just start to go, we need, you know, wherever you may be right now. In our yeah. country, in my country, we need a better perspective and we can learn that from other cultures. And that's something that I just appreciate. Yeah, that's so true. You know, that, that's something which I vividly remember. I remember seeing Americans as very sensitive, like to the extreme and not understanding, looking at this from this type of typical stereotype. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yeah. When I applied to green card, I live for probably three years without much leaving US. And then my first trip, I understood that I became a person like that, that I am, I'm too sensitive now. Yeah. <laughs> and I yeah. have, I started to have this knee jerk reactions on things which I didn't have before. And I realized that none of these two extremes is valid. But what you need to do, you need to understand both both perspectives and navigate them. To be empathic, you need to understand the culture of a person. Yeah. Sort of circling back to business, we, you know, after pandemic started, we became truly global. So we ditched offices. Now we have people in probably 16 countries. Mm-hmm. And it's almost impossible to be empathic if you do not understand the culture, the culture background yeah. person. So that, that's, that's so super, true. super important. Yeah, no, you're right. If you're not listening and if you're not paying attention and you're not asking questions, then you don't know. You know, and another thing that I I think is interesting, when you really start to think about what I'm about to say here, it kind of puts you in an interesting spot. But for example, if you were not physically present in that situation, then technically you don't know. It's all based Mm -hmm. on someone else's uh, either eyewitness account or maybe it's based on theory, maybe it's based on opinion. But we don't know because we were not there in that moment and, and we didn't witness it firsthand. And so that's another thing that I kind of started to step back and say, when somebody shares something, it's easy for us to form an opinion about it. And yes, we can listen to their opinion and we can, you know, we can start to determine what it is they're saying, understand their culture, that kind of thing too. But unless we were actually there, we still really don't know. And so it's just a nice thing to keep in the back of your mind to not be quick oh. to judge. You know, if, if that all makes sense too, you know, in addition to the listening aspect. Yes, especially with 
GPT and Midjourney and with all these tools to create to create a message which may not be rooted in something you know in real world. Uh, yeah. I think that's something where we humans will need to improve a lot in yeah. understanding that now you know the very existence of a message or an opinion doesn't really make it valid. <laughs> Because it's not, it's not even some person could can be some illicit message from some evil person, but there may be even no such a person. It may be just hallucination of an AI. Mm. I think humanity is really in the interesting point in time mm -hmm. because we just sort of detached from the reality with all this remote, all things remote first after pandemic. And yeah. now we see that our digital reality can be banned in any way with this new type of AI. So I think we really, we humans will be looking for how we go further. Yeah. I really like this article by Harari. It says that the existential threat to humanity because the language and the stories, it's how we humans exist. <laughs> yeah, that's true. There's a, uh, a museum in Arizona that I did not know about, and it's all about music. And I'm a musician, so I, I was so excited to go. But they have an entire floor dedicated to music from different cultures and different countries. I mean, you look at language, you look at stories, and you even look at music from these different cultures, and it communicates, like you said, who they are, why mm -hmm. they do what they do, you know, how it identifies them and stuff like that, too. And you're right. I mean, it's, it, it's so important to communicate that. We don't want to lose that. I feel it's still very important that when we see some of this culture heritage, we understand that it comes from real people. It's, it's not yeah. invented five minutes ago. You know, definitely. And that's what I'm excited about is that I, I do love new tech. I'm always up for new technology. You know, it's so exciting. It's so interesting. I'm always like, okay, how can I early adopt this technology? But it, it needs to benefit, it needs to help us and assist us so that we can, but not take over or not take away the identity, you know, that we're trying to communicate. Because like you said, it's humans, it's real humans, and that's the, that's the most important thing that can't be replaced. So, of course, this podcast is all about getting truly native and giving truly native experiences. And you shared a lot already on, on how you do that and what you're doing. But I'm curious if you have any final advice for us on how how you truly get native and deliver a truly native experience, and then also how we should be doing the same thing. By the end of the day, it's putting user experience, you know, making the most important. What I mean by that is, if you look at the translation industry, for example, people used to define quality by linguists, you know, by linguist opinion. While for end users, it's very different. And we've seen many, many cases when uh, users disagree with the linguist. Yeah. <laughs> and when going after linguist opinion just takes too much time and, or it's too expensive to deliver the value to the users. So that's why it's in its core is going with the user, getting feedback from the users, you know, taking user satisfaction and user opinion as the most important metric of quality and collecting feedback. Also, we had lots of cases where there was some obscure problem and uh, was not clear what's wrong, but then you got end user feedback 
and then you finally realize what was the issue with this translation, and then you kind of fix it at scale for all the users. Yeah. So I would say it's just being user-centric and uh, prioritizing users over some rules which you may have in the industry. I love it. Well, Constantine, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you for everything you shared and all of this great... I loved your perspectives. I love the advice and I love your experiences too. And I know we can all learn from this. So thank you for taking the time. Appreciate this. Thank you, Brian. I loved, loved chatting. Constantine Savinkov, CEO and co-founder of Intento. Constantine, thank you so much. It was great. I loved it. I loved your perspective and all that wonderful advice. So I hope you learned something today. Thank you, by the way, for joining us today and listening. Love to hear what you thought. Love to hear what you're thinking of the show so far. Love to hear what you learned from this episode. If you have any thoughts of things you want us to cover on this podcast, let us know. It's super easy. All you got to do is, uh, you know, email us. I know it's kind of like, hey, email. Seriously, email us, please. nx at lexigo.com. Again, very simple. nx at lexigo.com. Hope you're enjoying the show. We have so much coming. We're excited to bring all of this to you. I mean, honestly, this has been a lot of fun to do already, but so much coming. So do stay tuned. Do make sure to subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. We're doing this on a weekly basis, but Hey, thank you again for joining us. We will talk to you soon. And remember, this is so important. Always strive for authenticity and embrace the power of native experiences. Have an amazing week. We'll see you in the next episode.